Hello, welcome back. It's great to see you again. I'm James Panicki, MLEX's Asia-Pacific Senior Editor, and I'm here to take you through some of the biggest regulatory stories covered by our team of reporters around the globe. In just under 10 minutes from now, we'll be crossing to our correspondent in Sao Paulo, Brazil, to talk once again about the workings of the country's competition regulator and its in-house tribunal. And it's not just inside baseball. The way Kaje is being run and recent structural changes are likely to have a very real impact on the way competition matters are dealt with in Brazil. First up, though, a question. When it comes to mergers and acquisitions, are you Team UK or Team European Commission? It's a question that comes down to your view on legal remedies and undertakings. Can merging companies be trusted to proceed with an anti-competitive deal simply because they undertake to do X, Y and Z or Z for our US listeners? Well, in the post-Brexit firmament that's now taking shape, there appears to be a clear division between regulators that adhere to the stance of the UK Competition and Markets Authority, which appears unwilling to accept remedies, and those that, like the European Union, are prepared to waive deals through when the offer is right. It's all come to a head with the now-abandoned merger between two Finnish companies. Victoria Ibitoye is an MLEC senior correspondent covering M&A from London, and she's the co-author of a piece of analysis dealing with this very issue, and she joins us now. Victoria, so as we now know, Cargotech and Cone Cranes abandoned their merger after the CMA blocked it. Uh, so maybe start by telling me something about that decision by the CMA. Yes, so the CMA blocked Cargotech and Cone Cranes merger last week. Uh, they're two sort of Finnish container handling equipment companies. Um, And essentially, the CMA blocked it after a fast-tracked phase two review. It found that the deal would harm competition in the supply of a range of container handling equipment products um, here in the UK. And in sort of rejecting, uh, in sort of finding those concerns, it rejected a remedy offered by the companies to divest Cone Crane's lift truck business and another automation business division. It's called Calma Solution Systems. Essentially, the CMA rejected these remedies because it believed that they uh, the remedy was too risky and complex. Um, and whoever bought the the divisions, which were sort of sort of carved up from both of their businesses, would not be able to compete as strongly as the merged company in the future. Okay, so how significant is the CMA's block and what should we make of it? The block is pretty significant um, for a number of reasons. Um, The first is actually that this is the first in-depth merger review that has been conducted in parallel with the European Commission since Brexit. Um, So typically a deal like this would have been solely reviewed by the European Commission under the one-stop-shop principle. Um, But of course, uh, since the UK has left the European Union, that no longer applies. And so this is the first deal uh, that at phase two has been conducted in parallel with the Commission, the European Commission. Um, And it's significant because they both reached uh, different different outcomes. Uh, The European Commission actually accepted the remedies offered by Cargo Tech and Cone Cranes. And these were the exact same remedies that the CMA rejected. 
so so to, just on the outset it's significant because it's the first sign of potential divergence for the UK diverging from sort of what, what would typically have happened if it was still part of the European Union. Now, Victoria, part of the analysis that you wrote with our Brussels-based colleague Andrew Boyce was about how the European Commission and the CMA differ in their approach to remedies. What does the fate of this deal tell us about that? Yeah, so this deal um, and the outcome of this deal essentially just exposes how how much of a conflict there is at the moment um, between a number of regulators about sort of the right approach to remedies. Um, and actually, since the block, there's been a debate and it's still ongoing about what kind of remedies should be accepted and whether remedies are able are ever enough to absorb all competition concerns and whether there are actually some deals where you know a remedy is just it's just not going to cut it. And in this instance, um, the same remedy was proposed uh, so to both the European Commission and the CMA. And they reached different outcomes. The European Commission has since maintained that actually it sticks by its decision in its view that those remedies would have worked because it tested them. And it spoke to a number of market participants and the feedback was really, really positive. There was lots of buyer interest. I think uh, they, they said about 60 odd market participants said that you know, they, they believe that the that proposal would, would work. Um, and of course, the European Commission also has a little bit less discretion because they, whatever outcome they reach, has to stand, hold up to court scrutiny. Um, the UK, by comparison, um, has a completely different approach. And just this week, the CMA's chief executive, uh, Andrew Cacelli, actually sort of expanded and explained um, sort of why the CMA did what it did and why, why it feels that it, its approach is actually the correct one. And essentially, the CMA believes that when it comes to remedies, they have to be clear-cut. It has to be a situation where the remedy that's offered is going to restore competition 100%. So the competition that would have been lost as a result of the merger should be uh, solved by this remedy. And in, in, in doing that, you have to not take on a considerable amount of risk um, because then ultimately if if that remedy it doesn't restore competition 100% it's the consumer that loses out so um, he's come out really strongly saying that you know he doesn't believe that it's the role of a competition authority to be making that kind of decision about sort of how much risk um, they should accept when it comes to remedies when they're so hard to monitor um, and ultimately they, they they may not work. And this is just something that has been, it's been evolving quite some time. I think uh, initially the, the CMA prior to Brexit was openly critical of a number of mergers uh, that this European Commission was looking at, uh, the most notable being Google Fitbit, um, where a number of sort of behavioural remedies and a sort of a, in its view, a complicated package of remedies um, was accepted by the European Commission. And the CMA has always said, actually, that when it comes to behavioural remedies, uh, so remedies that require a company to sort of commit to certain standards and certain ways of of, of operating, they're they're just too hard to monitor. There's too much uncertainty and it just is, it's just not keen on them. So there's always been that clear difference in the behavioural side. So what this 
deal has kind of exposed is that when it comes to divestments, there is also a bit of friction there as well, especially when they are more complicated. Now, this debate about remedies is taking place in other jurisdictions as well. What are regulators and rulemakers and lawmakers around the world saying about that at the moment? So the jurisdictions, uh, so various jurisdictions around the world are actually split, split on this as well. Cargo Tech and Cone Cranes, the deal was actually cleared um, by the EU, um, South Africa, and I think sort of roughly like 10 other jurisdictions, um, which I think just kind of goes to show how divided everyone is. The US on Australia and Australia were definitely in the same pool as the CMA in this instance regarding remedies. Um, so the US is the US Department of Justice. The timing of this is, is actually a bit is a bit interesting because they their announcement came just after uh, the companies said that they were abandoning their merger because of the CMA's block. Um, but they actually said that, you know, the day before they told the companies that they didn't think the remedies were sufficient and they wouldn't work. Um, and in their statement, they very strongly said, look, we don't accept patchwork settlements um, that don't replace the competition that's lost by the deal. Um, so definitely in the, the Team UK camp, um, in the sense that the remedies need to be very clear-cut and similar similar case in Australia as well. The competition regulator also expressed similar concerns about the deal. So it definitely looked like it was heading that way, even you know, just from the, of course, the CMA blocked it. Um, but I think the fact that the companies also sort of abandoned the deal after that, I think it's it wasn't just the CMA that had had those concerns. Also, just recently, because um, this debate is still ongoing, actually, a South African competition official recently said that the fact that there are so many different outcomes in this deal amongst competition regulators sort of shows that there needs to be more unity, there needs to be greater cooperation, because it's not quite right that the same remedy can be sort of received so differently. And I think that's something that we will probably continue, this debate will continue for some time, I think. And what does the difference in the approach uh, between the UK and the EU on this particular deal, what tone does it set for the future of parallel merger reviews between uh, Britain and the European Union? I think so. I think this deal really puts to bed a lot of the questions about how far the UK will or would diverge from the European Commission after Brexit. Um, I think this and sort of a couple of other mergers that were still sort of waiting for decisions on kind of exposes the fundamental differences in approaches that the CMA has from the European Commission on a number of issues. So I think, you know, of course, the UK, the CMA is, is concerned primarily about UK markets, UK consumers, and that will naturally drive a lot of different outcomes anyway. But if there was any doubt um, that, you know, clearance in the EU does not sort of guarantee a smooth ride in, in the UK, like that's that's gone now because it's, it's very, very clear that there's there's very... The, the, the competition regulators have very different approaches on a number of issues and, you know, clearance in the EU doesn't guarantee clearance in the UK. Victoria, thank you so much for covering this deal for us and for walking me through it today. Great. Really good to speak to you too. Victoria Ibitoye is an MLEX senior editor. She covers mergers and acquisitions from our London Bureau. Victoria and Andrew's analysis of the deal's implications is ready for you to read and enjoy. 
Our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X, marketinsight.com. Just click on the News Hub tab for the very best of our reporting and analysis. Our subscribers, of course, have at their disposal the full range of stories we've written on the Cargotech Cone Cranes deal from all major jurisdictions around the world. Thanks for your company today. This is MLEX's weekly podcast. I'm James Paniki. And now pack your swimsuit and passport because we're off to Brazil. And of course, you can subscribe to MLEX Podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. And I should also mention that on Monday, we'll have a very special podcast for you from the American Bar Association Antitrust Spring Meeting. Our team of reporters has spent a very intense three days in Washington, D.C., and our editor-in-chief, Lewis Crofts, will host the podcast, which will accompany the release of our special report, which will also be available for you to download. Now, the issue of penalties for antitrust fines is indeed controversial throughout the world. What should be the penalties for companies or individuals when they fall foul of competition laws? What's the right calculation? What percentage of turnover should they be required to cough up so that the enforcement action is both a penalty and a deterrent? Brazil has been grappling with this issue of late because the Federal Court of Accounts, known as TCU, recently closed an investigation into what it alleges are the low fines imposed by the country's competition regulator, Kajay. But what should we make of the TCU's investigation? I put that very question to Ana Paula Candil, an MLEX senior correspondent based in Sao Paulo, and she's a very keen observer of Kajay's operations, as our listeners know already. And she joined me for a chat very late on Thursday. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. This investigation began after a complaint from a prosecutor within the TCU um, accusing Kaji of imposing low fines on cartelists and of ignoring the competition law when calculating payments in its agreements with companies. As you said, and this is no news, Kaji Tribunal continues to diverge on the proper method for calculating cartel fines. But this decision from the Federal Court of Accounts clarifies that there has been no irregularity in the agency's calculations and interpretation of the competition law. So the decision also reinforces the autonomy of Kaji to decide how he wants to calculate the fines, and it increases legal certainty on the agency's rulings, particularly decisions where the traditional method has been applied. However, for decisions where a majority of the tribunal decided for applying an alternative calculation method, um, I think it will be harder for the agency to defend those rulings in court, considering that most cartel cases in Brazil, if not all of them, end up in court. And that said, I think that in general, um, the fact that TCU closed the investigation may strengthen the agency's traditional method of calculating fines. And if you think that at least one new councillor is expected to join the tribunal this month, maybe this fragmentation that we've been often experiencing in antitrust decisions will be reduced. So now, Kaje has been without a permanent superintendent and attorney general since last year, and the tribunal also hasn't been operating under its full capacity for for months now, uh, and it has two empty seats. Now, all of these positions are likely to be filled soon. The Senate is expected to vote on four nominations to 
to Kaje this month. Uh, maybe, Anna Paula, tell us something about what candidates have been put forward to fill these empty positions. Sure. So, as you mentioned, there are four key empty seats at Kaji at the moment. The positions of superintendent and attorney general and two positions of counselor at the tribunal. This Tuesday, a Senate panel approved the name of Alexandre Barreto as Kaji new superintendent. The name of Juliana Dominguez was also approved as attorney general the same day and the name of Victor Fernandez as counselor. Uh, and we also have the name of Gustavo Freitas de Lima as counselor, which has been approved by the Senate panel in December. So Barreto is very known in the antitrust community because he is the former president of the agency. Dominguez is also very known. She's the former secretary of Senacon, which is Brazil's consumer defense authority. Also, Fernandes is currently the chief of staff of Justice Gilmar Mendes from the Federal Supreme Court. And Lima is a deputy chief of economic policy. Um, he provides legal advice to the country's presidency. On Wednesday, Dominguez was approved by the full Senate. Now her name must be published in the country's official journal, and after that, she can take office. The other nominations must follow the same process as hers, and we are expecting all this will happen this month. Now, some positions, like the one of the superintendent and tribunal councillor, have been left unfilled for almost a year. Uh, so what was the impact on the agency of the government's delay to nominate people for those positions? The impact on the superintendents is that while someone isn't nominated, it's difficult for the acting superintendent to make long-term um, plans for the investigative unit. And that's because his position is temporary, right? Also, I think that certain investigations that will result in a new jurisprudence are difficult to be carried out at the moment um, and concluded because depending on who assumes the permanent position, the decisions could take a different direction. Um, and as for the tribunal, I think that when it is operating with less members, it is more challenging for the president to form his alliances and try to reach a consensus with everybody about conflicting subjects um, where they usually diverge, including how to calculate fines, as we spoke before. And with two newcomers, at least there is a hope that the rulings won't be so fragmented and that the agency president, Alexandre Cordeiro, won't have to use his casting vote so often. Obviously that ideally, if you think of the concept of a tribunal, the casting vote shouldn't be used so often. Now, talking about mergers, Kaje recently announced plans to launch an automatic electronic review system for mergers by the first half of 2022. I was intrigued by your story on this. Uh, can you tell me something about how this new system will work exactly and how it will affect the merger regime, both from the perspective of the authority and that of merger applicants. I think this is a great initiative from the agency, and it will definitely make both companies and the agency's lives easier. Um, this is something that other authorities around the globe, like the CMA, um, have been doing for a while now. So why not Kaji? The difference is that the new Kaji system, when launched, will be voluntary, 
So the merger applicants will be able to choose how they want to file their deals. Basically, the system will allow the applicants to fill out the initial form with information about their transactions directly in a digital system um, instead of sending a PDF version to the authority as they currently do. But this will be applied only to fast-track deals. For full-form transactions, uh, market players will be able to submit their responses to Cadu market tests in the digital system. And the system will put all the information in forms and in an organized manner so that the agency investigators can spend their time analyzing the information instead of doing like the easy work that anyone could do. Um, I believe this will increase um, the efficiency of the Brazilian merger system as a whole. Now, still on how the agency operates, Cage's economics department, known as DEE, has uh, created specialty units for mergers, anti-competitive conduct and market research and advocacy as part of a recent structural uh, change promoted by the agency. Why has Cage invested what I'm sure many observers would see as the agency's scarce resources in strengthening the department and what benefits might those changes bring? So the motivation for Cade to put its resources on the economics department has to do in part with the OECD's report issued in 2019, um, decided the need for the agency to have more qualified personnel and to provide more assistance in antitrust and murder investigations. For that to happen, DE had to create these specialty units. Um, I believe that there are only benefits on doing this because uh, this will translate into both the superintendents and the tribunal getting more support from the economics department on their decisions, which will naturally have more quality with the expertise from economists. And it's also good to remember that this improvement on the department is part of CAGE's commitment with the OECD, which accepted the agency's entrance in the Organization's Competition Committee um, in 2019. Now, Ana Paula, uh, it was great talking to you as always. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, James. Ana Paula Candil is an MLEC senior correspondent. She was speaking to us from Sao Paulo. And there was certainly a bit of noise in the background there, but we decided to press on. Uh, it's obviously a lively city, so knocking and barking is what you can expect. And we'll post a link to Ana Paula's reporting on the recent appointments to KJ at the usual website, mlexmarketinsight.com, mlexmarketinsight.com. Just click on the News Hub tab. Alas, it's time for me to decamp, but thank you very much for staying with us. Don't forget our special ABA Antitrust Meeting podcast, which will appear in your feed in coming days. From me, James Paniki, and everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. Bye for now.